one last look at this sacred heart before it blows and everybody knows everybody
Friday, October 1st, 2021. Thanks so much for tuning in. We made it to October. Yay. Great. Excellent. Good times, right? Everyone's super happy right now? Cool. Uh, not just me. Uh, so thanks so much for tuning in. We're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in San Francisco, and we're on Ramatush Ohlone land. For more information, please go to ramatush.org, and that's R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H.org. Uh, you can donate. And you can also check out our land acknowledgement tab on our website at weeklyrev.org. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, information there as well. Um, start off the show with some music as we always do here. First off, we heard a song like I used to by Sharon Van Etten and Angel Olsen. Then Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohn, which seems to just never age because uh, still very true, unfortunately. And then a song by uh, Was Not Was called I Blew Up the United States. And I'm not sure if that would be... Uh, I'm sure there might be a lot of pushback if that were released today. Um, and perhaps there was when it was released in the late 80s. But, uh, oh, it's, yeah. If you're listening for the first time, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be sharing some news articles and playing music in between because, yikes, the news is, there's a lot. And uh, it's also important for us to acknowledge what's going on. So sometimes I start off by ranting. I'm just feeling... Uh, stressed and uh, overwhelmed today. Uh, I often do, but just a lot of things kind of coming together. And, uh, so it's, and again, it's sometimes like the personal things are, uh, I think there's minor compared to what's going on uh, in the whole world. And I think that's a, a lot of it too, is how do you hold that? Um, just the pandemic is still going on. People are dying. Um, people are being evicted. Police are still killing people. Uh, there's apparently money to still fund the military yet not healthcare, uh, et cetera, et cetera. No, looks like there's not going to be. I don't want to be totally pessimistic here, just uh, share what I'm aware of. And, uh, <sighs> looks like uh, they're still going to be into fossil fuels, and by they I mean the powers that be. Line three, um, which many folks have been uh, protesting against, um, people have been arrested for it. Um, it there are still People are still going to push back against that, and a lot of indigenous People have been putting their bodies on the line against it. We don't need more oil pipeline. It's so fucking, it's, the f it's so, it's just so st stupid. And the, the issue is that I think there's a lot in life that we can all agree is complex and complicated. And then there's things like a fucking pipeline, which is so unnecessary. And it's not a matter of um, uh, if it'll leak, it's a matter of when. Um, it's, it's, it's just greedy and it's irresponsible and it poisons the earth and the fact that it's like, and then on top of that, 
there are paid <laughs> mercenaries to protect a fucking pipeline and end up assaulting people and causing trauma. It's just f so fucking stupid. It's so dumb. I mean, I don't even have the language for it anymore. It's just, uh, just fucked up. That's what it is. However, we're going to move along to a story here. I'm a bit... Uh, ugh. I'm just feeling kind of ugh all over the place today. But did want to get to some news articles here to share a bit of what's happening in the world. So this is an article from Rolling Stone, and this came out pretty recently on September 30th, which was yesterday. 17,000 killings by police have gone uncounted since 1980. Um, for a while, there was a site that was affiliated with The Guardian. Um, I used to read from it very often, and I, the, the name of it's on the tip of my tongue, and they... Um, shared information on all the police killings that were happening in the United States. And there was over a 1,000 uh, per year that were listed, that is. And they stopped doing it And um, in 2016, which seemed like a really unfortunate year to, to, to stop, you know, sharing that. And this, again, is like only the things that are, have been recorded or reported. So... I want to say it was something also called like the Uncounted or something like that. And I used to share it a lot. So I'm going to take a look here and see if I can find it online. Um, but in the meantime, I'm going to go ahead and share uh, this article from Rolling Stone. So again, I mean, part of what I mention on the show all the time is that what, oh, the, it's called The Counted. And if you go to theguardian.com, they, ha they had it for a few years. Um, this is just a drop in the bucket. This is only, okay, things that I have found that other people have reported in this past week that I am able to get to in the two hours that I'm here at the station. So this is, of course, just, just a fraction of what's happening. And there's so much out there that we might not ever know, that might not ever be recorded, or might not ever um, be revealed. And... Uh, so that's why it's it's just it's so fucking upsetting. Again, I mean, it's weird that this is like a fucking audio show, um, yet I don't have the words for all just the horrific violence that's committed and that our tax dollars go to, whether it's here at home or through the military, uh, uh, committed abroad. Oh, also we'll get into a story about how, uh, not a surprise to anybody, uh, how many NYPD, NYPD officers are affiliated with the uh, Oath Keepers, which are... Uh, like um, a right-wing militia. So, and that's partially was revealed through the epic hack. And again, it's kind of like this thing where it's like, if you just actually listen to people, people would have already known this, but I feel like it's, that sometimes when they, when they do surveys and everything, like we interviewed 10,000 people and it turns out uh, people need uh, housing and uh, healthcare and food to like have a, to get, you know, to feel a little bit better. And it's like, why did you need a survey to do that? Why can't you just understand that this is how it is? But, um, yeah, there was a story I think I read a while ago, I think on the show, about they interviewed uh, trans folks. I think I even contributed to this interview or the survey, and it was like, oh, the biggest issue with uh, that trans folks have to deal with is dealing with transphobia. <laughs> and it's like, it's not about us at all. It's actually about the people who cannot accept us or refuse to accept us. And, yep. But here we are. So let me get to this article here. 17,000 killings by police have gone uncounted since 1980. 
There have been twice as many deaths at the hands of cops than the federal government has reported, top medical journal finds. And this is written by Tim Dickinson. More than half of all police killings since 1980 do not appear in official government data, according to an explosive new study in The Lancet, a top medical journal. The researchers reveal how systematic uh, systemic misclassification in the federal database that tracks the causes of death in America has produced over four decades an undercount of more than 17,000 deaths at the hands of police. The proportion of undercounted police killings of black Americans is even more extreme, the research shows, rising to 60%. The Lancet study casts American police unequivocally as a threat to public health. The risk of death by cop for an American man in 2019, according to the paper, was higher than the risk of death by testicular cancer, appendicitis, or sexually transmitted infections. Uh, these dangers weigh disproportionately on the black community. As the study emphasizes, the police have disproportionately killed black people at a rate of 3.5 times higher than white people. The research for the Lancet paper was conducted by the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, which is housed at the University of Washington Medical School and which catalogs global disease and injury, studying more than 200 leading causes of death. In an exclusive interview with Rolling Stone, IMHE researchers said they were motivated to resolve inconsistencies in public counts of deadly encounters with police, independent groups like Mapping Police Violence, which rely on open source data, including news reports of police shootings, have long tallied higher numbers of killings by police than those recorded in the federally funded National Vital Statistics System. NVSS includes an exhaustive database of American causes of death compiled from death certificates filled out by doctors, medical examiners, and coroners. It has tracked deaths from law enforcement since 1949. Last year, after the murder of George Floyd, we reviewed our police violence data, and we found other literature that supported that NVSS was undercounting, said, says Eve Wool, a co-lead author of the study. And we went and sought other sources to correct it. The IHME researchers selected high-quality open-source data sets on police violence, including fatal encounters and the counted, uh, and compared those studies to the federal record, building a statistical model of killings by police over time. This effort yielded, as The Lancet touts in an accompanying editorial, the most accurate and comprehensive assessment of deaths attributable to police violence in the USA to date. The results of this study are staggering. Over the last four decades, nearly 31,000 Americans have died at the hands of police, while fewer than 14,000 of those killings were properly recorded by the government, meaning the federal data did not report 55.5% of all deaths attributable to police violence. For police killings of black Americans, the undercounting was greater still, with 5,670 deaths missing from official federal statistics out of an estimated 9,540 total deaths. Despite recent scrutiny of police violence, Federal underreporting of killings by police remains acute. In 2018, the most recent year of federal data studied, more than half of police killings were not accounted for, with 642 deaths missing out of 1,240 estimated total deaths. The Lancet study also reveals that the prevalence of police killings has increased sharply during the time frame of the study, jumping by more than 38% between the 1980s and 2010s on a per capita basis. The undercounted killings are not missing. The NVSS keeps a remarkably accurate tally of American deaths. Rather, they are miscategorized in the system. Some underreporting may be unintentional, the result of poor training or ambiguous instructions. Critically, the study notes, medical examiners filling out death reports are prompted in their documentation to describe how the injury occurred. 
If the involvement of law enforcement is not recorded in this text field, the paper says, then the death will not be accurately coded into the system. The multi-step process and open-ended question makes capturing a death by police in the federal database more complicated than capturing a death by cirrhosis or lung cancer, says Mohsen Nakavi, the paper's senior author. But the researchers also sound the alarm over substantial conflicts of interest that could disincentivize accurate recording. Medical examiners often work for their local police departments, and in some rural areas, sheriffs serve double duty as coroners. If I believed in banging my forehead against the mic, I would do that right now. Ugh. Currently, the same government responsible for this violence is also responsible for reporting on it, warns co-lead author Bablina Sharara. In a call for reform, the study authors advise that forensic pathologists should work independently from law enforcement and be awarded whistleblower protections under the law to liberate them from pressure to downplay police violence. The Lancet study finds wide state-by-state -state variation in the accuracy of reported killings by police. The states with the highest underreporting rates are red and predominantly rural. Oklahoma leads the pack with 83.7% undercounted, followed by Wyoming at 79.1%, Alabama at 76.9%, Louisiana at 75.7%, and Nebraska at 72.9%. Karen Martin is a professor of public policy at the University of Washington who studies the criminal justice system and its racial disparities and has reviewed the Lancet findings. The paper is groundbreaking, she says, because it reveals that the problems of killings of police is twice as high as the government has officially acknowledged. Martin emphasizes that communities of color have long been aware of the police threat to public health, but this authoritative study is one of the world's top, in one of the world's top medical journals, demonstrating that cops kill more American men than Hodgkin's lymphoma could move the needle, she says. The Lancet offers a stamp of approval and research rigor that is required to get these statistics to the places they need to be, Martin says, meaning in front of policymakers and in front of voters. Yet the Lancet study has been published at a moment when momentum for systemic police reform, which seemed unstoppable in the wake of the Floyd murder, has stalled. As murder rates have spiked during the pandemic, politicians who once promised to overhaul and rethink systems of public safety are showing little courage in curtailing police budgets. On the federal level, bipartisan talks on police reform collapsed ignominiously this month with no results. Wool, the study co-author, says the research proves the point of protesters who took to the street. The results of this paper are not going to be surprising to a lot of folks, to other academics, to activists in the space, she says. We do hope they're affirming to those groups. She believes the most important takeaway from the study is the degree to which official undercounting has been masking the scope of racially disparate police violence, insisting it's always important to underline the systemic racism that's driving police violence in the United States. The Lancet is a London-based journal, and the study... And the study authors took license to close their scientific paper with a withering critique of American law enforcement. Although it might seem drastic to many in the USA to defund, disarm, or abolish militarized police, and I am all for, all for that, uh, there, may, there are many places where living without militarized police is already a reality, the authors write, citing the experience of disarmed police in the UK and Norway, which have killed fewer people than you can count on one hand in recent years. The USA, the paper exhorts, must replace militarized policing with evidence-based support for communities, prioritize the safety of the public, and value black lives. Whew. Wow. So we are going to share this article on our page at weeklyrev.org. 
Um, yeah. And that pretty much says it all. <sighs> Gonna take a, a deep breath. Sometimes I forget to uh, advise uh, trigger warnings before the show. Um, and these are the type of news articles that we read, so I did want to uh, share that for folks who are listening. And <sighs> Gonna take a deep breath. going to move on to, since we're on the same subject here, and this is from Newsweek, which is a pretty moderate news source, but I did think it was important to share this article. Oath Keepers data leak reveals active New York City police officers as members of far-right militia. This is written by Catherine Fung, and it came out also yesterday on September 30th. Um, a data leak of membership records from the Oath Keepers has revealed that several active New York City police officers are members of the extremist far-right militia group. Wow, I'm so glad I'm sitting down. That's such a shock. <sighs> this week, a cache of internal emails were made public by Distributed Denial of Secrets, DDO Secrets, after an anonymous hacker revealed data to the nonprofit, which shares leaked data to researchers and journalists. And as a side note, I believe that we shared an article about that uh, either last week or the week before on this show, so please do check out previous episodes for more information on that. In the wake of the January 6th Capitol riot, the Oath Keepers were flooded with emails from both prospective members looking to join the organization and existing members who wanted to leave. An investigation into those online records found that some of those members include a number of New York City law enforcement officers, including two active NYPD officers, according to WNYC Gothamist. It has not been confirmed whether these officers are still members of the Oath Keepers. Three public officials listed on the logs have told the news outlet that they had previously signed up to be members, but are no longer active with the organization. Uh -huh. The two active members have been identified as sergeant with the NYPD's firearms and tactics section and a Staten Island officer assigned to the department's strategic response group, which is often deployed to mitigate protest efforts. Ties between law enforcement officials and the Oath Keepers have led to an internal review within the NYPD and brought an immediate investigation by the mayor's office. And I'm sure this is just one of the many right-wing groups that police officers are affiliated with. The NYPD prohibits officers from knowingly associating with organizations that are, quote-unquote, reasonably believed to be engaged in criminal activities. Well, police themselves are engaged in criminal activities. So that's a very interesting uh, way of framing it. Newsweek reached out to the NYPD for comment, but didn't hear back before publication. The Oath Keepers are well-known as being a key player in the attack on the U.S. Capitol earlier this year and have been identified as an extremist group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Stuart Rhodes, the group's founder, has long claimed that the organization has successfully recruited tens of thousands of present and former law enforcement officials and military veterans. According to the SPLC, the Oath Keepers were founded after the former President Barack Obama was elected as the nation's first black president. On January 6, 2021, members of the Oath Keepers from around the country participated in the insurrection and breach of the U.S. Capitol building. To date, at least 18 members have been arrested and face criminal charges for their activities, the SPLC says on its website. Earlier this month, a former Marine from Florida and member of the Oath Keepers pleaded guilty to charges of obstructing an official proceeding in connection with his role in the January 6th riot. And still waiting on... Uh, the folks who were affiliated with the January 6th 
riot to uh, be held accountable while there are folks who are peacefully protesting who are in jail and people who uh, haven't done anything wrong who are in jail. So it's just, it's so clear how fucked up things are. Wow. What an upper of a show, huh? Well, keep on listening. There'll be some more news, um, more things happening. How about some, taking a deep breath, how about we play some music? Um, I played some songs from Lil Nas X's album last week, and we're going to play some more today. So here we go. Woke up on the floor, oh, this plastic bed don't blow up no more. In this broken home, everyone becomes predictable. Oh, sometimes we're angry, sometimes we're hurting, sometimes we're all alone. Sometimes I'm anxious, sometimes it makes me feel like the soul. Take what you want 
yourself in Adderall And throw me up against the wall And kick me when I have to crawl Ooh, I love it when you show no love at all You know I can be your part-time lover Our scars, they'll dance with each other I can be your part-time lover Our scars, they'll dance Why with each other just take what You should take what you want and leave. Why don't you just take what you want from me? I think you should take what you want and leave. What you want from me? Working on my body. You ever seen a nigga hit Pilates? No, I ain't feeling sorry. Been in the kitchen bumping Nazarati. Shit, I've been in the crib going crazy. I've been moving work on the daily. Baby, ain't trying to be a baby. Understand, I'm just trying to be the daily. Bumping Nazarati, shit. I've been in the crib going crazy. I've been moving work on the daily. Baby, ain't trying to be a baby. Understand, I'm just trying to be the daily. Tomorrow is my day off. Okay. All them rehearsals got me tight. Look at the payoff. Okay. And now my body look like something you need take off. I just got my veneers out. Bitches wanna rip they face off. But you thought you'd have a chance after you wanna disrespect me. Let him apologize and he didn't abandon me. He named my right cheek Jennifer and left one Lopez. Can't call me stupid with this big old fucking forehead, motherfucker. Let me. Scoop. 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 
over time to make sure I'll be the scoop. They gon' know me, scoop. Hi, welcome back. That was Lil Nas X with Scoop featuring Doja Cat. Before that, Life After Salem. Before that, Tales of Dominica. Um, very appreciative of Lil Nas X. And um, I tr I'm not too aware. I mean, I, I try to listen to the current and try to be aware of new and younger uh, artists and music. And uh, it makes me feel really good to know that there's still so many folks out there who are able to share their music. <sighs> All right. I was going to change the subject, but there's still yet another story about police, which I know is, is shocking here, especially if you're a longtime listener of the show. I never seem to talk about uh, cops. Anyway, this is a story from the Oakland side, and this is written by David DeBolt, and it came out also yesterday, September 30th. Three Oakland officers fired in 2018 police shooting found law enforcement jobs elsewhere, records show. So they got, uh, it's, uh, okay. The news comes as Governor Newsom signed two bills on Thursday meant to keep officers who commit serious misconduct from jumping to other agencies. So hopefully that will help, but also we need to abolish police. But in the meantime, anything that can help move us in that direction is, is a good thing. Three of the five Oakland police officers fired for the fatal shooting of Joshua Pollock found law enforcement jobs in other agencies, according to state employment records for peace officers obtained by the Oakland side. The officers... Uh, resurfaced in the Alameda County Sheriff's Office, the Solano County Sheriff's Office, and the Emeryville Police Department. And for folks not in the Bay Area, these are all, uh, like, like Alameda County is uh, where Oakland is, and Emeryville is like right there as well. And Solano is another county, but not terribly far in the grand scheme of things. The State Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Training. I'm also just wondering why they call them, like, peace officer. Like, peace, a peace officer should be, like, an actual someone who keeps the peace. Anyway, that's my understanding of it, but, you know. The State Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Training provided the records to the Oakland side in response to a Public Records Request Act on Wednesday, a day before Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law two bills designed to keep officers who commit serious misconduct from being hired by other law enforcement agencies. Until today, California was one of only five states without the authority to decertify police officers effectively stripping them of their badge. In Oakland, the five officers involved in the March 2018 police shooting of Pollock were initially cleared by the Oakland Police Department's Internal Affairs Division, the Executive Force Review Board, and the investigative arm of the Civilian Police Commission. But, and there's always a but here, OPD's court-appointed monitor, former Rochester Police Chief Robert Warshaw, intervened and ruled at that the shooting violated policy. A special discipline committee of the police commission sided with Warshaw and the officers were terminated. While it had been reported that all five officers protested the firing by suing and seeking to get their jobs back, it is not publicly known until now that a majority of the officers were hired elsewhere. The state records show that after being officially terminated on April 18, 2020, William Berger became an Alameda County Sheriff's deputy. Brendan Horizon went to work as an Emeryville police officer, and Sergeant Francisco Negret joined the Solano County Sheriff's Office as a deputy. The records, which are as recent as March 2021, did not show whether officers Craig Tanaka and Joseph Phillip were hired by other law enforcement agencies. Berger, uh, Horizon, Negret, and Tanaka 
shot and killed Pollock, a homeless man found asleep between two homes in North Oakland with a gun in his hand. Phillips was hot-fired for shooting Pollock with a beanbag around, round from a shotgun. The controversy surrounding the shooting intensified this month when an outside firm hired by the city to investigate an Instagram account that mocked police reform efforts and spread misogynistic and racist content reported that the account was created by... Drumroll... By one of the officers terminated in the Pollock shooting. Wow, what a surprise. The report, which was made public by U.S. District Judge William Oreck, who oversees OPD's court-ordered reform effort, did not identify the officer by name. In all, nine officers were disciplined for actions related to the social media investigation. According to state records, Emeryville Police hired Horace on June 1st, 2020, Emeryville Police Captain Oliver Collins said Horace worked as a patrol officer but resigned on March 12, 2021. He apparently left for another law enforcement agency. Collins wouldn't provide any information on where Horace went, but said Horace wasn't suspected of any wrongdoing while at EPD. His eight months with us was uneventful, Collins said. Okay. On January 11, 2021, the Solano County Sheriff's Office hired Negret as a Deputy Sheriff, according to the Peace Officer Standards and Training Database, the Solano County Sheriff's Office spokesperson, Deputy Sheriff Laron Cummings, did not respond to an email sent Wednesday about Negret's employment. Next came the hire of William Berger, who began his career at OPD in 2014. Berger was hired by the Alameda County Sheriff's Office on March 21st, 2021, according to state records. But less than a month into his new job, he went out on medical leave, according to Alameda Sheriff's spokesperson, Sergeant Ray Kelly. Civil rights attorney Jim Chanin said officers fired for misconduct should not be given an opportunity to be rehired elsewhere. When a lawyer is disbarred, they don't get to go to another county. And when a police officer is terminated, I don't believe they should be able to go into another jurisdiction either, Chanin said. It shouldn't happen with lawyers. It shouldn't happen with police officers, with pharmacists. It shouldn't happen with doctors. The passage of SB2, introduced by Senator Tony Atkins, Democrat from San Diego, and Senator Stephen Bradford, Democrat from Garden, uh, creates a system within the Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Training, a state agency that oversees training and certification of officers to investigate and revoke or suspend police officers' certification for serious misconduct, which includes excessive force, sexual assault, dishonesty, and demonstration of bias. The bill was also supported by the ACLU and the California Innocence Coalition. The Peace Officers Research Association of California and the California Police Chiefs Association both said they support the decertification of problem officers, but expressed concerns that serious misconduct was too vague and subjective. <laughs> wow. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> wow. Um, if, if serious misconduct is... Um, not a fireable offense from someone who like carries weapons uh, and uh, has a reputation of killing people. M maybe, uh, maybe it's the whole system. Maybe it's uh, people shouldn't have this profession in the first place. California has one of the most progressive criminal justice systems in the nation, Bradford said in a statement Thursday. But for too long, problematic officers that commit heinous acts in one department are either not held accountable and continue to be a problem for that community or are punished but able to find employment in another department. That This rinse and repeat style of accountability has led to the continuous erosion of community trust. At long last, California finally joins the 46 other states which processes for the decertification of bad officers with processes for the decertification of bad officers. 
Bradford authored the bill and named it after Kenneth Ross Jr., who was shot and killed by a Gardena police officer in 2018. Senator Nancy Skinner, Democrat from Berkeley, praised the passing of SB2 as well as a bill she authored, SB16. Trust in law enforcement erodes when police misconduct is kept secret and officers who've acted badly are allowed to avoid consequences, said Skinner. SB2 and SB16 will help restore public trust in California policing. SB16 builds on Skinner's landmark police transparency law, SB 1421, by expanding public access to officer misconduct records. The law works in tandem with SB2 by mandating that records be released if an officer resigns before a misconduct investigation is complete. It also requires law enforcement agencies to review an officer's prior history before hiring the person. All right. So we'll share a link to this article with our show notes as well. Moving along. Um, I'm going to move on to this article. Uh, it's actually, it's a thread I wanted to share from Craig Gilmore. You can follow Craig on Twitter at Craig O. Gilmore. Uh, California closed a prison today, uh, Dual Vocational Institution, DVI, in Tracy. For decades, Dual, I think that's how it's pronounced, I'm not sure, Dual, uh, caged almost 4,000 people. Now it is closed. Congratulations and deep thanks to those who have worked with Curb Prisons and uh Critical Resistance, they're, they're tagged in here, so I wanted to get their names right. And um, California Prison Moratorium. Okay, these are all different accounts. I'm just going to follow real quick. Over the years, hashtag free them all. So that is a, a good, as a victory. So, and they share the, sh the tweet from Curb. Uh, reports are coming. DVI Prison has been deactivated today. Thanks to Governor Newsom for making good on its pledge to close CA prisons. Curb Prison celebrates this landmark moment and the, the generations of organizers and advocates across the state who made it possible. So I'm going to share this tweet on our, with our show notes as well. If you want to follow these organizations, uh, Curb Prisons as one. Curb is a coalition of more than 80 organizations demanding that we divest from policing, jails, and prisons and invest in community-based systems of care. So uh, everything is connected, of course. We talk about police causing great harm and uh, killings is one thing. And then also another thing is all these wrongful arrests. So it's really important to uh, just <laughs> change the way things are for sure and recognize that everything is connected. So I'm going to take a deep breath, get some water, play some music. Here's uh, someone I wasn't planning to play on the show, but then I heard that there's a new song and I like it. Uh, it's from Billy Idol, and this is a song called Bitter Tears. Apparently it's about his motorcycle, so make, uh, make of that what you will. Oh 
There's a million ways to die Should've left me way back Should've left me way back By the roadside It's a bitter taste
right, welcome back from our music break, one of many. Uh, it was Peter Gabriel with In the Sun. Before that, we heard Tom Petty, who passed away on the state a number of years ago, unfortunately. And then before that, we heard Billy Idol with a new song called uh, Bitter Taste. Got some more music coming up and much more on the show. I did want to share a few things that are coming up. On Thursday, October 7th at 11 a.m., the Coalition on Homelessness is um, they have a, a little Zoom event that's happening. Uh, join us, community advocates and allies, to hear about our report on San Francisco's encampment response. So we'll post a link to that on our page. Also, did want to share there was a... Uh, <sighs> oof. Just sighing a lot these days. There's a lot to sigh about. There are students at an Atlanta area school for the deaf that are protesting the racism and autism of school administration and demanding to have a deaf superintendent. So there is a photo of students in the hallways with their fists raised. And um, so autism is an attitude based on pathological thinking that results in a negative stigma towards anyone who does not hear. Um, and yeah, we'll share a link to this photo on our website as well. And also, I'm going to get to one more thread, and then we might play a little bit of something else, uh, just to rest my voice a bit and hear from other people. Uh, Resist Line 3, you can follow on Twitter, at Resist Line 3. After nearly eight years of fierce resistance, we learned that Line 3 will become operational this weekend. This fight is not over, only shifted, so it's a good time for a refresher. What is Line 3? Why should it be stopped, and how can you help? A thread, one of nine. Uh, line three is a pipeline that crosses 200, over 200 bodies of water, wow, and tree land in northern Minnesota. It's set to carry over half a million barrels of tar sands oil per day from Alberta, Canada, through North Dakota, Minnesota, and Wisconsin before being shipped across the country. Enbridge claims Lame 3 is a quote-unquote replacement for another pipeline that has carried oil through Minnesota for decades, but its capacity is nearly two times that of the old. It also has a brand new route that is rich with pristine wildlife and water bodies, including the Mississippi River. We're not kidding when we say Line 3 is a climate bomb. It will more than double Minnesota's greenhouse gas emissions output with a climate impact equivalent to 50 coal-fired power plants um, every day this pipeline is allowed to operate is a leap toward climate catastrophe. Most federally recognized indigenous tribes in Minnesota oppose Line 3, and they are leading the fight against it. The movement to stop Line 3 is led by Anishabi people, including, and they have um, uh, GINIW Collective um, at Honor the Earth and Camp MIGIZI, -I, who stand to lose the most from this pipeline. We have grown into a massive global movement, inspiring thousands to take bold actions of all kinds. Water protectors of all ages and abilities resisted with marches, rallies, sit-ins, boycotts, art, petitions, and by putting their own bodies on the line to stop Line 3. Even if Line 3 is operational, it won't be the end of this fight. Every second this pipeline carries tar sands means more emissions, more chances to spill, and more forests destroyed by tar sands. Stopping Line 3, no matter how long it takes, will always be worth it. So what can you do? There are, and there will continue to be, many ways you can resist Line 3. For starters, you can check out the hashtag StopLine3 link tree for a variety of links and ways you can aid the movement. So let's take a look. Oh. Scam likely. 
didn't expect that to go through to the computer, but sometimes these things happen. So you can donate to, to legal support for water protectors, and you can support Frontline's camps. I'm just clicking on these links now. So the donation links, there's a land back fundraiser. You can donate via Venmo or PayPal. You can donate to the GINU Collective. Um, it's G-I-N-I-W Collective. There's the Red Lake Treaty Camp. You can donate via Venmo. There's the RISE Coalition and Manumin, Jeno, Wendang, and Dazig, uh, Beshing Wild Rice Protector Camp. Um, my apologies um, if I've mispronounced these. So these are links that are on their link tree. Uh, you can also join the fight. I'm going to click on that link, see what that entails. And it's a website, stopline3.org. And you can watch a live stream. I uh, can take action. Let's see. Lots of info here. Um, tell the tell President Biden to stop line three is one thing. There's also um, a story from ABC News. Uh, I'm going to, I think this is in German. So let's, uh, let's see. I'm going to fill this out right now while I, um, while I'm talking here because, uh, a great way of getting to know that things are done. So on this website, there's a lot of resources. And yeah, all right. There is a form letter. Cannot hurt to send it. So that's what we're doing, we're sending that right now. And uh, let's see, there's also, there's a film. And there's a study guide, there's events, take more ways to take action. Let's see what this film is here. The Teachings of Anishabi Resistance. So if you go to honorearth.org forward slash line three, it's a 38-minute frontline documentary on the effort to stop fossil fuels expansion and encourage real energy security. Got a study guide as well. All right, I'm just clicking through the, uh, the website right now to share more information that they have. So they have it up. It looks like they might, in which case I'm gonna play it. So it's about 38 minutes. I might have the microphone on just to uh, share some captions that are on here. future generations. This is the battle for Earth. Showing footage from Standing Room 2016, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Showing cops spraying people, weapons. Canada's Enbridge Energy is a partner in the Dakota Access Pipeline. As the battle at Standing Rock raged on, they were quietly pushing another project just 400 miles away at Line 3. 
Thank you, Madam Chair and Commissioners. Good morning. Eric Swanson on behalf of Enbridge Energy. Um, first, I want to say we're happy to be here uh, today to discuss this critical safety and integrity-driven project. Oil spill from 1991 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Enbridge is responsible for the Another largest spill in U.S. history in Minnesota, England, and it was here in Minnesota, next to Grand Rapids. So we're looking at something like that. This is the largest freshwater lake in the world by surface area. This would be the terminus of the Line 3 pipeline. Indeed, it's that commitment that brings us here today. Society benefits when responsible operators bring forward projects like this. Certainly the United States at the federal level is going backwards, getting rid of fuel economy standards, exiting the Paris Climate Accord. The United States is not leading, but everyone in this room knows that. It's time that we as people reconnect with the seven teachings. Number one, respect. Bemidji, Minnesota, late 2016. What we all know is that Enbridge Company went out and bought 28% of the Dakota Access Pipeline. And so my feeling is this, when the dogs were put on our people, and the dogs were put on our people at Standing Rock on September 3rd. I called Enbridge Corporation, which has an Aboriginal people's policy. And I said, they need to call off the dogs. They need to do the right thing, and they need to have a comprehensive environmental impact statement because they say that they want to work with people. You need to tell the state of North Dakota to demilitarize that and to get the MRAP out of there, the mine-resistant armored personnel carrier. I, I, I wrote my several letters to Al Monaco, the president of Enbridge, and he did not respond. So my position is, is that Enbridge is responsible for 28% of the injuries in North Dakota. Enbridge is responsible. Enbridge is responsible for 28% of the tanks, 28% of the rubber bullets, the water they poured on us, the heartache they caused us the indignities, the people who were strip searched and put in dog kennels. Enbridge is responsible for that. And we are not going to forget that. And so when they come knocking back over here, we need to tell them that this is not Morton County. This is not Morton County, and there are no tanks here, there are no bullets here, and there are no more pipelines coming in here. Good morning. Coming through okay? Very good. In 2017 and 2018, the state of Minnesota held 50 different hearings to consider Enbridge's Line 3 project proposal. On June 28, 2018, the Public Utilities Commission convened to meet. 
The purpose of today's hearing is for oral argument on the proposed Line 3 replacement project. From Enbridge's perspective, this is their largest project in company history, and everything is riding on this. And then on the other side, landowners, Anishinaabe people, youth, all these people that are hunters, fishers, that are looking at a tar sands line going through untouched places. We're talking about sending tar sands through the headwaters of the Mississippi River and through all this treaty territory along the way in 41 wild rice watersheds. Enbridge is asking you, the commission, to issue a certificate of need and a route permit, which will relinquish through eminent domain 340 miles of northern Minnesota to a private company. Each of these 340 miles represents the livelihoods, homes, rights, clean water, culture, climate change impacts, and people of Minnesota. The state of Minnesota is being asked to give up something more valuable than the price of this pipeline. Replacement of line three is the responsible thing to do, both for our communities and for the environment. Enbridge has, you know, consistently throughout this process stated that it cares deeply about the citizens of Minnesota and that this is about job creation. This is about replacing an aging line, um, you know, an over 60 year old pipeline that is currently leaking. If that were all there were to it, you know, I think that we'd be in a very different situation. But what we're looking at instead is Enbridge needing to expand the industry. Um, we're looking at oil that is not meant for Minnesota markets. It's meant for foreign economy. For the tar sands producers, um, the need is to get more oil to the oceans. So there are three pipelines out there, not just this one. Um, there's the Keystone XL project. There's the Trans Mountain Expansion Project. Um, there's this one. They are all designed to get as much oil to the coast as possible. The survival strategy is to get access to some kind of global markets that are supposed to make up for the lack of demand in the United States. So what gives? If the demand is dropping, if the likely production is dropping, why is there this uh, need for a pipeline? When a Canadian tempts the Canadian tar sands are the second largest deposit of crude oil in the world, estimated worth $1.4 trillion. lands are at the greatest risk of an oil spill. That's environmental racism. That's why I'm here. I hope people in Minnesota wake up. I hope a lot of frontliners wake up and warriors wake up and they join us. We want to shut this pipeline down. We want our children to live in a clean, toxic-free world. We're going to have to step up and show them how it's done. Everyone here is fearless. There's courage here. There are warriors here you know, from all walks of life, you know, not just indigenous people. It's not, an, it's not just an indigenous fight. Bring that element 
of nonviolent direct action. It doesn't look too good with the pipeline moving right behind her while she's getting arrested. Whoa, whoa. Oh, okay. Well, explain why. What are you doing? Someone's just being arrested right now. They said they grabbed like two officers. No reason. Law enforcement is here to uphold the law of corporations and private property because they have money, they have nice vests, they have logos. We don't have money, so we're here because this is our only option. Number two, truth. Truth is something that we have to learn to express. It's got to come through our hearts and our chests, not so much through our brains when we stress. You can find truth on a quiet night. You can also find it in the wild rice. We believe that we are our ancestors' prayers emotionally. With us, the Ojibwe, what we're protecting is the wild rice, the food that grows on water. This is what a sustainable economy looks like, thousands of years of rice. Nobody else in the world has thousands of years of the same economy but us. How about we hang out with it for another thousand years? You know what I'm saying? This is a low-carbon economy that does not require fossil fuels to haul it around the world, right? Anishabi, aka the Ojibwe, have rights to hunt, fish, and gather throughout northern Minnesota. These are guaranteed by treaties signed by the federal government and acknowledged by the Supreme Court. Line 3 puts those ecosystems in imminent danger and violates Anishabi rights to harvest food and medicine. Tar sands create more than 30% more emissions than conventional oil. To get them out of the ground, it's this hugely energy-intensive process. They're actually more like asphalt than oil to move through a pipeline. It has to be diluted with cancer-causing chemicals like benzenes. There are these things called diluent. The tar sands is mixed with these chemicals and then forced through a pipeline at really high pressure. Now the pipeline's going to be built with modern technology, modern materials, modern inspection. And for those reasons, we fundamentally disagree with the premise that the risk of a Accidental release should be a primary factor when routing a pipeline. They've just declared a state of emergency here in Calhoun County, and I spoke with an official with the state, and they say this may be the worst oil spill ever. What they thought was a false alarm was a six-foot gash, horizontal gash, in the pipeline that left this gaping tear. We dug into the data. We looked at the information to see whether Enbridge is actually telling the truth. And what we found is that they not only have an average of one pipeline spill every 20 days, but unlike what they're saying to the Public Utilities Commission about the safety of their pipeline network, 46 spills have happened on pipeline equipment that's been installed 10 years or less prior to the incident. So what that means is Enbridge has a problem, not just with their old pipelines, but with their new pipelines too. Enbridge is one of the 30 most popular stocks for hedge funds ugh, from Yahoo Finance. In the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, the company proposed two new pipeline projects in Minnesota. Sandpiper. Sandpiper in line three. 
Enbridge spent nearly $800 million to promote the Sandpiper, but in 2016, the project was put on hold indefinitely. The company's future now rides on the success of Line 3. Um, we do own Enbridge in our portfolios, and one of the things for Enbridge is uh, they have a big project that uh, has to receive final approval from Minnesota. I think once that comes through, that will kind of lift a bit of an overhang on the stock, because income, well, market doesn't like un any sort of uncertainty. If Enbridge loses the Line 3 um, project, I mean, I think that that would be, that would be a shift in the entire industry. Right now, there's only Trans Mountain, there's Line 3, Energy East was abandoned, and, and Keystone XL. Keystone XL is not even financed right now at this point. Kinder Morgan, the company itself, has said we're not sure about this project because of the level of resistance. And now Line 3, I mean, that is, we're talking about the, the ending of an industry. Honesty. It's time for local governments, corporations, and the police to be honest and go back and take a good look at the treaties and everything that was promised. Everything that has something to do with the state of Minnesota has forest or water on it. In my opinion, the treaties is what's keeping this beautiful Minnesota um, environment, you know, that they're so proud of, you know, they're proud of those 10,000 lakes. They're proud of the hunting. They're proud of the world-class fishing. But putting this pipeline through all of it doesn't make sense. I got this letter, and it said they wanted to run a pipeline through my, my land. You know, I'd heard about him in a domain. They want to turn the back of my land into an industrial park. First off, I was extremely angry, and then I was devastated because I thought, how can I stop them? I went to a public hearing in uh, Carleton. I didn't talk, I was still too scared. And, but that public hearing energized me and gave me hope because there were so many people there from all walks of life. There were, you know, redneck type people and there were natives and there were Minneapolis uh, yuppie types, you know, and vacationers and all, and they were against the pipeline. That was the first time I realized that there might be some allies. And somehow or other, I heard about Honor the Earth and then I started following the whole native uh, resistance. And I have been so inspired and grateful for the natives and what they're doing to put a stop to this. The company is now constructing around the state of Minnesota despite lacking the permit. The largest segment of the pipeline is actually not approved, but they've started construction in Wisconsin, they've started construction in Canada. We don't want this pipeline. So Minnesota is fighting back. We're standing strongly in the process and resisting on the front lines. We are currently in St. Paul, Minnesota's capital, right in front of the public hearing for the Line 3 expansion project. We're standing alongside some great people, some youth interveners that have been granted official status. They're standing up and saying this is our future you're talking about. Hello everybody, my name is Pimichapi, which translates to Morningstar.
My American name is Nolan Birkeland. I'm 16 years old, and I'm currently a junior at Harding Senior High School. We're here for the spirit of the water, the spirit of the earth, Uchima Club. We're here for them. It should not just be about money. It should be about finding solutions for all of us, peaceful solutions. We don't need another standing rock in Minnesota. Wisdom. Wisdom is to know that the earth is a gift and it has a reason. To reconnect with our roots and escape our mental prisons. Several years ago, we had a project, a similar project, smaller scale in this community. It completely tore our community apart. The pro-pipeline, the and you know the anti-pipeline people, you know families are torn apart by it, and um, so that's one issue is that it, it causes division in the community. Uh, another issue is that they they're transient workers, so there's like man camps and people uh, who don't live in this area. It's a it's a danger to our community. There's you know sex trafficking, prostitution, drug use, all kinds of things come with these projects. Essentially what a man camp is, it's a hotel all on one floor. So what you're having is you're bringing a small little city somewhere. Most of the man camps are always located in rural settings. These guys work all types of shifts. Some guys go out at 2.30 in the morning, some guys at 10.30 in the morning. There's never any normal here. We're not selling our souls for a barrel of oil. We just aren't going to do that. work and have to face week after week trafficked youth children this is a dire concern for Minnesota and to counter something said by Enbridge man camps are an issue yes but when you disperse these workers into our campgrounds and our hotels you are making it more difficult for our law enforcement officials to stay on top of it. You are putting our children at further risk. Every day there's another woman from another tribe, mother of five, mother of three, grandmother, niece, daughter. Every single day, one goes missing. Girls are so afraid of getting stolen and raped and never found again. You know, we have this huge problem in our country of missing and murdered indigenous women. You know, our country doesn't care about our people. And it's gonna get worse if, you know, the PUC um, gives Ambridge these permits. If Enbridge come through and something happened, they don't clean it up, we clean it up. That's what worries me. Going under the rivers to me is, is just, that's insane. The willow is the Mississippi and the Mississippi is the Gulf of Mexico. I just feel they think that we're stupid and that we don't have the guts to fight them. I'll fight for anything that I think is right for my family. I've got 72 family members. I'd hate to think of any of my kids or grandkids having to walk around in that stuff up to their knees.
I also have a few questions for Mr. Eberth. Are you familiar with the Enbridge Climate Change Policy? Uh, yes, Mr. Pearson, uh, generally familiar, yes. Uh, as I would hope, uh, given your leadership position on this project. Um, so would you tell me, according to that policy, what causes climate change? You know, I have to look back. You know, if you have the policy, we can pull it up. I don't want to misspeak, but um, I assume human impacts are, are part of it. Absolutely right. Yeah, it's greenhouse gases from human impacts. Policy is very clear on it. Humility. Humility is to be humble, and to be humble is to see beyond financial profits before the climate crumbles, because protecting a finite resource like water should not be this much of a struggle. Is there some security here? Just shut that door. a very serious conversation that you know I think that the larger movement is having of looking at what is direct action why is it important and making sure that we all have each other's backs when it comes to just supporting one another in, in the work that we're doing thank you Councillor Filipovich and um... The, the City Council had approved $83,000 in riot gear for the police force, and so we're community members, and we just want to come and have a dialogue. Excuse me now. I will need to ask you to sit down, please. It is deeply concerning to me to see Northern Minnesota making a significant purchase and use of resources towards purchasing riot gear. It's my understanding this council voted 8-0 to support what happened over in Standing Rock. Um, I spent six months of my life resisting the Dakota Access Pipeline. It was a struggle that was brutal, and we saw police officers brutalizing human beings that were standing up for their water and also constitutionally demonstrating. We have the right to constitutionally demonstrate. We are standing here to say no. You know, we, we're, we're saying no to this pipeline. Enbridge lies! Enbridge claims that it cares about the Minnesota process. It claims it cares about our law. Look at all those pipes that they have brought into this state illegally. It should not be on these lands. These are Anishinaabe lands in the 1854 treaty. Our treaties should be followed. Our treaties must be followed. Our future matters. We see the police officers working side by side with Empress. Side by side. We saw that happen in Standing Rock. We are fighting for Mother Earth. We are doing it unarmed, peacefully. That scares them. Necessity defense is an affirmative defense. So basically people who are, for instance, the valve turners. The valve turners are these people that were willing to shut down the entire input of oil from Canada for a day. They went to every major stop and shut down the oil industry for a day. Um, obviously they were caught. They did this all very publicly um, when it happened and they were filmed. And, you know, I mean, they, they were very clear in what they were doing. Um, Many of them use the necessity defense. So although I know what I did was wrong, this is trespass, this is like, you know, I broke a chain or whatever. Although I know that that's wrong, the harm that I'm trying to prevent is much greater. 
this is literally people's futures that are on the line. We're looking at wildfires that have been consistently getting larger and earlier in the western part of the country. Um, we're looking at, you know, rising seas sending people off their traditional homelands. That's already happening. We already have climate change refugees in the United States um, and around the world. We're looking at countries that are running out of water, literally. They're out of water. They don't have fresh water anymore. Um, and all that compounded versus I went and broke your chain. Love, it ain't always a white wedding and flying doves. Love is something that I'm wishing to see. Love is something that the creator gave to us unconditionally. Love is something as simple as saying, Gizagi in, which means I love you in Ojibwe Moen. I don't think sustainable economic development will come from Enbridge. I, I think that we need to look to all of the job creation that comes from more sustainable development. Building solar capacity, building wind capacity, even cleaning up the Line 3 corridor would create a lot of jobs. I suspect more jobs than building a new pipeline. Minnesota's environment generates $16.7 billion in consumer spending annually, 140,000 direct jobs, $4.5 billion in wages and salaries, $1.4 billion in state and local. Fishing is $2.4 billion a year, 35,400 jobs. Agriculture, $55 billion a year, 367,000 jobs. That's from Minnesota's environment. We post-fossil fuels economy. This is what wind looks like in travel communities. White Earth, class four wind, thank you. Red Lake, class four wind. And guys over at Leach are not quite so windy, I'm sorry. That's what energy security looks like, right? That's what energy security looks like. It should meet the needs of our tribes and meet the needs of our communities. And now is the time when we should get the financing for it and we should have the political support of the state of Minnesota. Because that's what justice looks like. We're at this moment where we can make a choice between two paths and we got to decide which way to go and we're going to have to take a lot of people with us. We're going to have to do a little enlightenment on the process, but we're going to need to go green. My people dying, suicided, and they lying in the dirt upon the land that my ancestors fought for. Standing on the front lines against the oil pipelines like Chucky T and Dallas Goldtooth. And Bridge and Keystone is pollution. My reservation needs a revolution. My reservation needs a revolution. It's the resolution for the revelation. My reservation needs a revolution. It's the resolution for the revelation. Miigwech gitchi mani do ni minogiji gud ni mama naaki ni ni be. What's up, St. Paul? My name is Thomas. I've been working with Honor the Earth to uh, get Red Lake on board. And also we started a solar initiative in Red Lake as well. Solar panels just now got put up on our government buildings and eventually they'll be throughout all the tribal buildings and the reservation. And eventually every home in Red Lake will be run on solar power. 
has made all of these commitments because it's dedicated to the success of this project and it's committed to working with and addressing stakeholder concerns. Replacing line three is the responsible thing to do. Everybody say no line three. No line three. Say no line three. So I want to extend a big miigwetch to uh, Minnesota 350 and all the other organizations that have put this on today and all the water protectors, land defenders that have been doing their thing nonstop to defend our monomen, our water, and our ways of life here. So a round of applause for all our water protectors out there doing their thing, man. No line three, protect the water. No line three, defend the sacred. No line three, protect the water. Ojibwe warriors on the front lines. No line three, defend the sacred. No line three, protect the water. No line three, defend the sacred. Ojibwe warriors on the front lines. We are in a process that is so apathetic and so not geared toward the humanity of the people who are impacted by projects like Line 3. And we get bogged down in this very technical, very legal process. And the thing to me that gives me hope is seeing the kind of radical beauty and defiant optimism and celebration of the kind of world that we want to see. And that's what we're here building and creating in this space today. I was listening Thomas introduce himself and the amazing things that the Red Lake Nation has done. That's why I always say never underestimate the Anishinaabe people. If you're Anishin, you're in that crowd. Your ancestors are proud of you today. If the system works, the Public Utilities Commission will not issue the permit for this pipeline. You know, they held, you know, hearings sets of hearings, people came, testified, and then they came back and testified again, and then they came back and testified again. In total, 68,000 people submitted testimony. 94% um, of the comments were opposed to the pipeline. Pretty much nobody wants this pipeline. Most of us look nationally and we feel like the system is broken. If the system does not work, we will have literally a civil war in Northern Minnesota. morning. We are here today, June 28th, for a meeting of the Minnesota Public Utilities Commission. My name is Nancy Lang, and all the commissioners are in attendance, Commissioner Tuma, Commissioner Lipschultz, <coughs> Commissioner Sieben, and Commissioner Scherger. I'm Hello, my relatives. You know, I represent the home team because I'm from Minnesota, but besides that, I'm the home team because my people have lived here for about 8,000 years. If you approve this, you're saying it is okay to continue with aging infrastructure and dangerous infrastructure when in fact much of the world is moving on. We're here because our future depends on it and that future is now in your hands. And I ask you commissioners, as individuals, as parents, as community members, as public servants, whether you believe action on climate is possible. The Department of Commerce, Minnesota Department of Commerce did a whole entire economic analysis of this pipeline project. Um, their conclusion was not only is the, um, you know, the new pipeline not needed, the existing line isn't needed either. The commission is tasked with whether to grant a certificate of need for a pipeline project where the applicant submitted incomplete, non-credible, and misleading evidence as part of its case in chief, and even still failed to make a legally sufficient showing of need. The law here is simple. The law and the procedures have gone against the pipeline. The question is, will the politics? 
The parties raised important points. Please do not negate the applicant's detailed projections. Excuse me. Sometimes we have to make decisions we don't aspirationally agree with. Is there a motion then? Yes, Madam Chair. I'll move that we grant uh, a certificate of need for the Line 3 replacement project. And with that, uh, commissioners, you've heard the motion before us. If there's not any more discussion, we will vote. All in favor of Commissioner Lipschultz's motion, please say aye. 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 The motion carries. You have just declared war on the Ojibwe. <sighs> I feel like, you know, after the heartache of all this battle, you know, we will at some point get victory, but it has been grueling. It has been brutal. There's a lot of people that put their hearts and souls into protecting our water. You know, for them, they deserve it, you know. <clears throat> courage. To have courage is to stand for what's right even if it means standing alone, to stand for those who can't stand, for future generations, for your home. You know, the state of Minnesota just sold us all out for a Canadian pipeline corporation. My ancestors made agreements with your ancestors. And those agreements were that we would keep our water, we would keep our rice, we would keep our trees, and we would keep life for our future generations. You need to stand with us, we need to stand together. Young warrior, native soldier, got the res and the people on my shoulders. Anishinaabe in Dakota, go to war, I'ma ride till it's over. I don't gotta get up on the mic and say my style's tight. All you gotta know is that I'll die for the wild rice. Young Niji with the rap, check the rhyme scheme. All my people yelling out, no line three. Kill the Indian, save the man, fuck that. Kill the pipeline, save the land, we gon' bust back. I don't think a approval is necessarily a loss. I think an approval is unfortunate and it's something that shows how desperately skewed the system is. It's skewed towards industry and not towards the citizens. I think the wins and losses really come from the ground resistance and from people taking up their courage to protect the future generations and protect the water. For every river, lake, creek, watershed, and every wild rice bed, we rise. Resistance, 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 500 years of existence, resistance, 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 we still here, we still here, we still here, we still here. From Dennis Banks and everybody in the longest walk to all the water protectors who took a stand at Standing Rock. We rise. For the past, we rise. For the present, we rise. For our future, we rise. For our very existence, we rise. Oh, Jibway time, oh, Jibway time, oh, Jibway. Oh, Jibway time, Jibway, Jibway.
links to the playlists from music that we play on the show so that's about it thanks again so much for tuning in and uh, we'll be back again next week have a great weekend everybody and uh, be kind to yourself and one another
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> Coming soon, the 6th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Six venues. 24 shows, 7 days, 75 comics from all over the United States at amazing local venues. Asiento, Atlas Cafe, El Rio, Milk Bar, OMG, and The Bar. On Dolores. Special headliner shows at El Rio Thursday night, 7 and 9 o'clock, featuring Scott Capuro, headliner, amazing comedian. Also, Andy Iwancio out of Seattle here for the sixth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. All tickets are $10, except the headlining show, which are $20. You can find all of the shows on Mutiny Radio's Eventbrite. Reserve them now. And don't miss out. 2021, the 6th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. Black Block, a novel about protest from Sanjiro. A sample. The walk from Union Square to the bar is a long way for a drink. So you want a few stopovers. You get warmed up at Lefty O'Doul's, an old-time tavern with memorabilia and a menu from another century. Then a Market Street dive to rub elbows with the hoi polloi. Next is a Folsom leather bar. The dark Garth soundtrack is a refreshing change from the usual jukebox anthems, but you must avert your eyes lest you observe gentlefolk in flagrante. That means fucking. Tonight, none of these places are open unless looters are broken in. The city is shut down because of the riots. Thank you. Find me at sanjurorider.com and Black Block is on Amazon.
Download a podcast, 